0: I want to say good morning to everyone. So glad to see you here, and glad to be preaching again. Um, I almost feel like I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> it feels so long. Uh, but anyway, I wanted to to mention with regard to um, the sermon. If you were noticing the sign outside, naturally, if, if you know anything about Christmas songs, that's one that's been very popular what you may not realize is the background to that song and the reason why I chose the title um, because it's kind of touched upon a little bit of what Ben was mentioning with regard to how, how people view this time of year. But back in 1962 in October of that year, this country was on pins and needles. And I don't know if, I don't even have to say what it's about, but if any of you lived during that time Uh, and was old enough to understand it, you know what I'm talking about. This country was on the brink of the potential for nuclear war. And there was a man who was born in France, but this section of France was actually taken um, by German, by the German Empire in the 1873 war with the French and German um, war. And, and so it, it was annexed in, and well, this Frenchman had been drafted into uh, the Nazi army. And he didn't want any part of it. To make a long story short, he had defected, been a spy um, for the French uh, army. And after he got out of the army, and that's a story in and of itself, he moved to Manhattan in 1952. And, and in 1962, as this was unfolding, this man who happened to be a songwriter, singer with his wife penned the words to the song that we now sing. But it was in the midst of a horrific time if you're a citizen in this country um, knowing the potential. And if, if you're particularly involved in government, high level government it was really stressful period for our country. So what I'm saying is that there is a way, a perspective that you can have about a given season, a given time. And for some, as Ben was mentioning, it's a time of great joy. And for others, not so much. A time of stress, a time of pain. We have brothers and sisters in Christ who have lost dear loved ones. Um, and in that tragedy of loss, it's hard to be happy during this time. And it may be that way for years for some in how they cope through life. And so I'm using this phrase in a multiplicity of ways. I'm going to narrow it toward the latter part of the sermon. But on the front side, I'm going to ask a question. That um, I'm going to ask it in reverse because if I asked it the way I I want to ask it, just about everyone here would probably raise their hand. I mean, almost 100%. So I'm going to ask it this way, and then I'll put the slide up. How many in this room do not... If you're willing to raise your hand, do not celebrate birthday. Yours or anyone's. Nobody's birthday. Is one person? No, no, you just lied. No, no, just kidding. <laughs> okay, Fitzcarlis, you didn't lie. Um, so everyone celebrates birthdays, right? Okay, one more. How many of you do not celebrate Mother's Day? Who's going to raise their hand on that one? Right. (laughs) All right. So everyone celebrates their birthdays. Everyone celebrates Mother's Day. So did you know that birthdays and Mother's Days were not celebrated by Christians centuries ago? Did anyone know that? Very few people know that birthdays. were actually frowned upon in Jewish culture among other cultures. Um, it was the day of one's death that was important to them. So for those that are thinking of argumentations and applying argumentations to whole Christmas things, that's right up your alley probably. But uh, it was a ma- mindset that when you read Jeremiah 20 verses 14 through 18, you read uh, Job uh, chapter 3 verse 1, these men cursed the day they were born. And because they cursed the day they were born, everyone else is supposed to curse the day that they were born. Can you imagine? That's the way people do their Bible studying. It's in Scripture. Curse the day you're born. There's your Bible authority. Right? That's what we all should do. And so for centuries, even up until the 1700s, in, in, in many cases, most people did not celebrate birthdays. In fact, it was a pagan, pagan ritual that... Um, depending on which country you're from They would actually light candles to ward off the evil spirits And eventually a candle for every year were born And then for good luck, they would add extra candles When I was growing up as a kid, we'd add one extra candle And one for good luck I don't know if you guys ever practiced that But in Hawaii we did it that way (laughs) And so it was a pagan practice That later on now we just everyone does it Mother's Day same thing. There was uh, the, the mother, basically, of all gods, and Mother Rhea, uh, the goddess Rhea, was of this particular god that people would worship, right? And so this was a practice that was going on for many centuries, and it was not until, I think, 1905 to 1908 when it was actually practiced in a Methodist church in this country ...where Mother's Day really began for this country. And some would say, well, but that's a different Mother's Day. But the practice of Mother's Day has pagan origins. People are applying it differently, kind of like the birthdays and what have you. So most of you know where I'm going with this. You get get what I'm saying. These are practices that at one time Christians frowned upon... ...and would give you Bible verses as to why you should not practice either of these two um, holidays... Let alone others Right So keep that in mind So the question then is Should we stop these practices Based upon this new information Now that I've soiled your minds Right Should we stop practicing birthdays Because we don't have uh, Bible authority uh, As some might say Should we practice or stop practicing Mother's Day, Father's Day Sons, I mean all the days that we now have Our grandparents day and what have you Or do we have freedom in Christ to practice it? So I hope you know where I'm going from that vantage point. And my goal is not to teach for or against Christmas, by the way. Um, I believe that's going to be a personal decision that you have. But what I am wanting to do is show you perspectives that I think are very, very important for those who call themselves faithful children of God. Right? Because we want to do all things in service to our Lord. So When we look at these perspectives with regard to Christmas, obviously there's two dichotomous type, you know, these two opposing views, generally speaking. And there's gradients within these two opposing views, right? But before we actually look at these two opposing views, these are the biblical facts. These are not debated, right? So the fact is, when we go to Luke chapter 2, I want you to open your Bibles to that text. I want you to look at Luke chapter 2. And, of course, Luke chapter 1 and 2 deals with the birth of Christ in the gospel accounts along with Matthew chapter 1 and 2. (coughs) And so I want you to read verses 13 and 14 of Luke chapter 2 and see um, this fact of what's going on in Scripture. It says here, and suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, goodwill toward men. This was right after the statement, For there is uh, uh, born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So after announcing the birth of Jesus Christ, this was the rejoicing that went on in heaven. And this is the quotation that Matthew gives of that rejoicing. Go on to verse 15. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord had made known to us. So the shepherds, they They hear of what the angels had said and, of course, the rejoicing that went on. And then now they said, let's go and see this child. So they go. They came with haste, verse 16, found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept these things in her heart and pondered them. And then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. So they glorify God, having heard about the coming Messiah. They've been waiting for the coming Messiah. It had been taught this morning in our Bible study in Isaiah, this was prophesied. This was going to happen. Now that it happened, there are people that are rejoicing over this, particularly these shepherds. Well, go on to Matthew chapter 2, and we have, again, another biblical fact of what had taken place. And then I want to make a point after this with regard to these verses. In Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. By, by the way, my Bible's falling apart, so alms to the poor. <laughs> no, no, just kidding. <laughs> just fell apart this morning. Um, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We have seen a star in the east and have come to worship him. Okay. Here is amazing passages or here are amazing passages with regard to the birth of Jesus. Angels rejoice, shepherds praise God and uh, rejoice. Magi or or these uh, wise men came from the east, right? So we got these Gentiles, they're coming, they're worshiping him. You don't worship anybody but a God. They're worshiping this, this child that has been born. Now, I bring this up right now because of this. Could I have read this, these passages at any time during the year? Amen. Any time of the year. Which includes any time of the year, right? What happens, though, because of some of us in the body of Christ, we believe for whatever the reason, and I'm not saying that you do this, but I know of, brethren, that Think this way because I've been in congregations that practice it this way. That whatever you do, don't read these passages or sing songs that allude to things that are attached to this time of year, Christmas. But the songs that we sing are biblical songs, whether we sing them in January, February, June, July, or December. They're still true. Nothing's taken away. Sometimes we are so afraid of it being attached to something that we want to shy away from that I hear it. I hear it in the voices of brethren who love God. We just can't sing it this time of year. We can't say things this time of year. And that's most unfortunate because, let me tell you, if you're at a party, do you go like this? Pagan holiday. holiday. <laughs> You know We don't do it for that We don't do it for Mother's Day We don't do it for certain things And try and make I gotta gotta, This is a teaching moment But we'll do it For Christmas And what's ironic about that It's like going to a, a party Where there's celebration And you don't celebrate You go to a funeral And you don't follow protocol For a funeral Right. It's like Jesus referring to the Pharisees saying when the children were dancing, you didn't dance with them. And when people were playing the dirge of funeral songs, you weren't going along with that either. I mean, what's up? You're backwards, Pharisees. And so sometimes we may be backwards that way in saying we cannot do certain things. These are biblical <laughs> facts of what is taking place. People rejoice, angels rejoice, people worship the son at his birth or soon thereafter. So I say that because of what is this dichotomy. In Romans 14, Josh read for us verses 5 and 6. I want you to go back to the text and read it one more time because this is where, again, our opinions can, can vary. And as a result, some of the variances get borderline legal. Judicial, binding And I say that in the midst Knowing that I'm a part of a a preacher forum And guess what is one of the discussions going on Over 200, almost I think 300 comments In the last few days Over this subject matter And um, let's just say the spectrum is wide Among men who use the pulpit each week in Romans chapter 14, I want you, to, I'm going to read from verse 1 and then read again through verse 6 and see if we get the sense of what's taking place here. Receive one who is weak, receive one who's weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. And of course, that's the obvious question here. Is this a quote unquote doubtful thing? For one believes he may eat all things, but the, he who is weak, Eats only vegetables. Opposing sides. Let him who eats dis, uh, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. Let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. So he makes a point with regard to eating of meats. There are those that don't eat and those that do eat. Don't judge each other. Don't despise each other. That's the general statement. Without getting into nuances. And then he says this in verse four, who are you to judge another servant to his own master? He stands or falls. Indeed, he will be able, he will be made to stand for God is able to make him stand. All right. So it's not a matter of, okay, you know, here's, here's the truth and you don't have the truth. So therefore you've got to stop doing what you're doing, whatever that, that is. In this case, it's um, eating meats that had been offered to idols in some, as some would say, or sold in the marketplaces, um, some would say. And then there are those that would be, we've got freedom in Christ. We can do this. If I can take off of uh, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, we've got freedom in Christ. The idol is nothing. The meat is it's just meat. But the one who says it's wrong because it had been given over to idols, it's like you're practicing idolatry. So therefore, and they come up with this complete surrounding the eating of meat that you ought not to do it. It's sinful, I believe. That's the dispute here. And he says, listen, whether you do or don't, God is able to make that person stand. Okay? Then he says this in verse 5. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. He doesn't give us context beyond that it's only on presupposition what we think they may have meant but in the 21st century you know what would be included Christmas among other days he says one person esteems one day above another another esteems every day alike. let each be fully convinced in his own mind he who observes the day observes it to the Lord He who does not observe it to the Lord, he does not observe it. In other words, did you get what he's saying? Both Christians on opposing sides of these days love God and are serving God in their decision to observe that day, to not observe the day. I could just imagine a first-century Christian going, I think it's amazing that our child is alive Let's celebrate the day they were born. And I could see other Christians going, didn't you read Jeremiah? Didn't you read Job? Those are biblical principles. We ought not to. You can even read the Mishnah, by the way. And in the Mishnah, it teaches the practice of not having birthdays. So you got Mishnah authority. What do you do? The Apostle Paul says... Our whole purpose of being reconciled into Jesus Christ is to have the unity in Christ and People on both sides love God are trying to serve God and instead what's happening among brethren is they're tearing each other down going You're wrong You shouldn't be doing this and they're doing it because they love God They're not doing it because they hate their brother, right? I don't know if anyone, and I remember, uh, again, with this whole post, I, I'm thinking, the person who, who is saying that Christmas is wrong loves God. And the person who's saying, I think we ought to celebrate it, not just civically, but religiously, he loves God as well. And I can hear undertones. You know, you don't, you don't get to hear undertones much Text messages and online when you're just typing things out. But the undertones are are quite clearly there. And I'm thinking, both sides love God. Why all this opposition? And I'll add one more thing. What time of year is it that the world, generally speaking, the world thinks about the Messiah? What time of... Year Is it that the world Generally speaking May come to a church service And hear And as Michael was saying They want to hear good news When do they come Do we wait for this sermon Somewhere around August Oh no wait Scriptural Christmas in July I think that's the phrase right So do we wait then Of course not you know, I've, you, you hear people saying, well, we need to be shrewd, we need to be wise, and we need to take, uh, take a hold of the opportunities when they're given to us. And right now, the opportunities is this time of year. That's the that's reality. And what we have it in some of our minds is that because we want to teach nothing but the truth, we feel like this is the only time that you teach against a day because it's not specifically told to be practiced and therein lies the debate among brothers and sisters in christ we don't have positive authority for this we do for the death of jesus but not the birth what's interesting is that statement i've heard many 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 times articles sermons what have you what's interesting is that there are other areas that that are practiced among us that are not specifically mentioned Right. But in those cases, you know, we have authority and we, we kind of generalize. So if, if we had um, an example, then there would be a, oh, we got an example. Uh, if we had people actually rejoice well, people are actually rejoicing. I, you get the point. So I think sometimes it's what we want to believe. We try to uphold whether it's for it or against it. And Here's the thing that I want us to to realize Paul is saying in these cases where it's not an explicit like when you go to um, The book of Exodus or Leviticus or numbers or Deuteronomy, and you got this law tells you Here's when you partake of the Passover Right here's how you partake of the Passover. Here's even why you partake of the Passover Very explicit. I mean down to a T. Here's what you do when you do how you do We get to the New Testament And outside the Lord's Supper, you're not going to get who, what, when, where, how, why in most cases. So what Paul is saying is these are disputable things. And when they're disputable things, he says, let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Because they're trying to serve the Lord biblically, not my feelings. But they're trying to biblically serve the Lord, whether it's to not observe it or to observe it. Okay? Okay. So I don't know how else to make that as clear as I can going forward, but that's because this debate will never end. So I'm trying to be as clear as I can that there are going to be those that do or don't do the celebrating of things, whether it's birthdays, whether it's going to be Christmas or whatever, Halloween, whatever it is. Some would say, you just went into all kinds of territory of of worms there (laughs) that opened up because that's even more pagan, right? And so, hey... This is Sunday. I think it's a pagan day, if I'm not mistaken. So you can get real technical about the things that we practice nonchalant. We don't think anything of it, but there are things that will rub us the wrong way. So here's what we need to be doing. I believe if we're going to look at the the idea of of Christmas, and I remember a particular um, family in the church where we were part of in Missouri, Julie and I were, they celebrated Christmas. And, of course, it was always when I was a young Christian in the body of Christ, it was, just do your thing. I don't know how you guys are, but that's kind of how it was with with us. Kind of had a tree, but no one really knew. Right? Only a few in the church knew that we had a tree. Um, But there was one family that actually not only had a tree, then they actually had a manger scene at their house out in display. (laughs) we laugh now back then that was like wow they're pioneers (laughs) that's what it felt like here's the thing they were doing it not civically they were doing it religiously they were the first ones I they threw me for a loop because I had been taught as a young Christian we don't celebrate it and so when they did I was like "Well, you're kind of rocking the boat here and you're not doing what everyone else is doing well I didn't realize that there was a lot of people that were doing it, um, just not in the group that we had been part of. So here's the thing. Whatever your view is, I want us to go back to this thought that the Apostle Paul gives to the church at Corinth. Because, again, this was dealing with idolatry, 1 Corinthians 8. And he says in verse 1 regarding idols, he said, knowledge does what? Knowledge puffs up. It makes us arrogant it makes us somehow feel like we're better than the other person that's what knowledge does on the other hand what does he say love does the opposite of puffing up it builds up it's a biblical conclusion to the whole do you eat meats that have been offered to idols or not eat meats offered to idols See, you can have your knowledge But your knowledge is only going to cause you to go into your corners, get your gloves on, and duke it out, biblically, doctrinally, theologically. On the other hand, you can have a genuine, sincere love for one another in this disagreement. And guess what? Let God sort it out because he is able to make the one who doesn't celebrate to stand and the one who does celebrate it to also stand. And when you can take that information and know that, you know what, in this congregation, as they're going to be in many other places, you're going to have those disagreements. You can have those disagreements with a genuine hug for each other. Genuine. And not like, okay, you guys are all going you know where because you're doing you know what and you know why. Right? We don't want to say all these words. But, but we, we have those judgmental thoughts sometimes. We need to clear those. Jesus came into the world to reconcile us. That's the whole good news. And once we've been reconciled in Christ, we're trying to put on Christ. And what we do and how we put on Christ is extremely important. And so we, we look at these passages and we realize, you know, our soul does us no good, let alone the one that we're trying to, quote, unquote, teach when we belittle their view. When that person is trying, little or great, they're trying to be genuinely upright with God in how they're serving God. And so that's what I hope you take away from this sermon. So when I put, do you hear what I'm hearing? Not everyone hears the same thing that I hear. That's a twist on the title. And in this congregation at Rome, they all didn't see things the same way, and yet they were one in Christ one in that body that met there. And I pray that we will always be one in the same way. Now, if you want to be one, here's what Jesus Christ teaches. Here is God. God creates man in his own image, but man, out of his own volition, his own prerogative, he chooses not to serve God. He sins. God gives him And out by way of sacrifice man continues to sin regardless of the sacrifice and one day God reveals to us that instead of you making those sacrifices that are just not perfect I'm going to send you a sacrifice that is and he sends himself in the form of a man here's a man who's going to be Worshipped and revered as God. One who can forgive sins as God. And his name is Jesus. And he was born into this world. So that he could die for this world. That's the Jesus Christ that we all serve. And if you want to have your sins forgiven. Jesus says come follow me. Die as I have died. That you may be raised as I have risen. And that's why we teach being baptized, right? So you can die and put that old man of sin to death and rise up just as it was commended by the apostles. Actually commended. And note that when you are, he adds you to his kingdom. And that's good news. And that's for you this morning. If you're here and you're subject to that calling or need to be invited or you need the prayers of our brothers and sisters in Christ, why don't you do so as together we stand and sing the song.